The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Welcome to the Examine Life podcast. And today we're going to talk about the Ring of Gyges. And Enjoy. it's a, a text here from, from Plato's Republic. How long, how old is it, Alan? Two and a half thousand years old? Oh, fuck. I, uh, sort of like last time I can pick it up was like 380, 378 BC. I'm not 100% sure. Close to that. Yeah. Okay, great. So it's about two and a half thousand years old, roughly, a little bit, little bit less. It's a philosophical conversation about what is uh, justice, what is good. Basically, are humans inherently or intrinsically good or intrinsically bad? And I think what it argues, and correct me later if I'm right, it, it argues that basically people are inherently flawed. He, people are inherently corrupt. And if given the opportunity uh, to choose between good and bad, uh, a person will more than likely, uh, because of the temptations of life, choose the corrupt life and choose something that's bad. So that's that's the really, really simple premise. And, and Alan's going to give us a bit more than that as we go. Um, and he uses an allegory to kind of explain this. The way that's prefaced is that um, there's a shepherd in Greece uh, it's, and he's you know, looking after his sheep. He's wandering around, wandering around. There's an earthquake. Uh, there's a big hole in the ground. He looks down, he looks in the hole and he sees like a Trojan horse or a horse or some kind of cave thing. And he goes, in, he goes into the cavern. Uh, he sees a dead body. Uh, on the dead body, there's, it's naked except for a ring. He picks up the ring, he puts it on, leaves the, the hole in the earth, and then walks outside, goes back to his mates, his, his group of shepherds. And then he's, as he's playing with the ring, he realizes when he turns it, I think, inside, uh, he becomes invisible. And then when he turns it to the right, he becomes visible again. And obviously, he's blown away by this magical, unbelievable uh, power that he, that he has. And uh, he tests it a few times and realizes that it works. Um, and then he's obviously flooded by euphoria of, of the power that it would be, uh, the power that it gives him to be invisible. Because if you think about what that means, to be invisible means that you can basically go around and you're invisible, you're working, you have impunity, you can do whatever you want without consequence. Um, so what does he do? Obviously, the first thing that he does is um, he goes back to the village, he goes back to the, the city, he seduces the queen and he convinces the queen to betray the king. And he basically he kills the king and he becomes king himself. So immediately what he does, he uses the ring uh, to gain power and to gain influence. He doesn't, obviously he um, disregards his, his life as a shepherd and, and becomes corrupt. So that's the, the story that Plato gives us as a, as a premise for if someone was given unlimited power, how would they use it? And he's using this story as a way of saying that if a person uh, comes into, into power and there, there is no uh, consequence, well, then obviously they, they are going to uh, basically be corrupt. Okay, Alan, so that's our premise, okay? Where do you want to go with this? Where do you want to, where do you want to go with this? Man, I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed by this text. You know, I consider myself like a part-time philosopher in my own time. And I can't believe I've overlooked this text for so long. I've always kind of looked down on the Republic and not thought much of it. And going from our last podcast on um, the allegory of the cave and then coming back to the ring of Gyges and actually reading the text in between, I'm blown away by just how deep and um, 
meaningful this this text is how how ground it's the groundwork for you know western civilization almost to to try and not avoid hyperbole so um there's so many ideas in this which you know just come down through history and philosophers it's just been as like a footnote for for all philosophy as that guy said so 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 plato uh socrates is walk comes down the hill for a you know, to come and see a religious festival and everyone sort of, you know, grabs onto him and says, come, come to our house and let's have a, an argument. Let's have a debate. Let's talk about some stuff. And um, Socrates meets a man called Cephalus, this old man. Cephalus is a funny, you know, interesting name because Cephalus sounds like it comes from the word for brain. Um, and uh, Socrates says to this old man, Cephalus, it's like, oh, you're an old man. You must have lots of wisdom. Let, let me ask you, you know, what's it like to be old? And actually, there's a funny part that he says in there. It's like, you know, ah, oh, you know, being old's great. You know, no more sexual desires, no more lust. I, um, life's great. I'm relaxed and everything's easy. And then I think he turns to me and says, um, tell me, tell me, Cephalus, what do you think it means to be just? You know, you, you lived a long, wealthy life and you've done all this. Have you been a good man? And he says, well, I think just to be just which well, his meaning of just is, you know, to live a good life. Being just is being a good person, doing the right thing. And he says, you know, being just is not hurting people and paying back uh, what you've borrowed and doing no harm and having all this wealth that I've accrued that helps in doing that. So being wealthy actually is a positive thing to um, being a just person. And obviously Socrates disagrees with him to some extent. Yeah, because at the beginning part of the text, it, it's interesting because that's the whole premise, right? Like, um, I'm going to read a little bit of here. It says, they say that to do injustice is by nature good. So basically to be bad, or be corrupt is good. To, however, but to suffer injustice is evil. Okay, well, to be a victim of the injustice is evil. But that is the evil is greater than the good. Okay, um, and when and so when men have both done and suffered injustice and have ex experience of both not being able to avoid the one and obtain the other they think that they had better agreed among themselves to have neither so from, from what i read of the text it's it's basically saying that um if you can be unjust is definitely a good thing being just is not hurting people and paying back your dues doing no harm right so it's the definition that to basically saying that you know from cephalus yeah, it's, it's, it's saying that to be unjust is something that's, um, it's considered to be something that was good. It was considered to be something that- For the, you, for the individual. Yeah, for the individual, right? If you could take power, then great, take it. If you can't, mm. you, but it, however, if you're a victim of that power, then obviously it, it's detrimental yeah. for the individual. So, yeah. and then they created justice as a way of trying to manage- um, the, the two polar opposites, right? So justice mm. was something implemented by the government or the institution or the collective as a way of, of protecting the individual of injustice. So they said, mm. well, we can't, not, not everyone should be corrupt. The, the whole point of the Republic, it starts off talking about the, the, the justice and living the good life for the individual. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a bit too complicated. So Plato comes to a point where it's like, I'll give you an analogy. Let's anthropomorphize a city and, and use the city as a comparison to a human. And we're going to create a city 
and explain how this perfect city can operate and anthropomorphize that as a human and say a human to be perfect has to operate the same way as a city or vice versa. So there's, that's, we could have talked about that further down the line because it's quite a few more things to get through. I, I, I've read a lot of it, so I'm, I'm sort of going through a bit of the dialogue, not just jumping on the, the, the Right, and, and he, does say, he does say in the text that what man would do good things if they're basically invisible and they weren't recognized and what mm. man would do good things further if you were if your reputation was ruined mm. and people thought mm. that you were corrupt? There would be no reason to do good things. Um, so Socrates does get to that. That's the whole point of the Republic. The, the Republic is trying to. Um, this is the beauty of the Republic. The Republic is trying to um, find an absolute reason to do the, to do good. To do good for, for uh, it's, it's a mean in it's a means and its ends. You know to to, to do good. Is its own good you know it's not you're not doing it for another purpose you're not doing it because there's a god in heaven looking down on you you're not doing it because society is looking at you you're not doing it for praise and glory you're not doing it for for benefit you're doing it for its own sake right that's, that's excellent what he's trying to do. i think that's excellent context in the sense that the republic was designed to, to explore why should an individual seek to be better, to, to have, uh, I guess, an ethical compass or to do good. Is that, that's what Justice, you're saying? Justice, virtue, and being virtue. good is um, the, the main aim in life for everybody. It's, it's, it's the ends, the means to an ends to a good life. That's what, the, that, that's what Plato is. And that's, that's what this whole book is arguing. Right, okay. So... So, okay, can I continue with the, di with the dialogue? Please, for the please. Story? So he talks to Cephalus, the old man. He says, you know, well, I've got enough money now. You know, I can pay back anyone that I've hurt. You know, I haven't hurt anyone. I've done no harm. Um, I consider myself quite just. Then he gets tired. He's like, oh, Plato, uh, Socrates, oh, yeah, I'm too tired for this. I'm leaving. So no worries. I'll leave you with my, with my sons. Uh, skip a bit. He, he starts talking to a guy called Thrasymachus. And they're walking down, and this is a really interesting part. You really got to read it, but um, pretty much the end result of the conversation is Thrasymachus. Um, he comes to the, the the theory that justice is uh, might is right. He says there is no morality. He says whoever is the ruler, whoever is in control of the state, has the power to bestow, you know, law. Uh, justice and all that kind of stuff upon the people. And there's actually, if you read um, Thucydides, uh, which is the Peloponnesian War, where Sparta and Athens have a, have a war against each other. Athens, Athens goes to this little island state called uh, Miletus or something like that. It's called the Milesian, Milesian Dialogue. And the Athenians rock up there and say, surrender or we'll kill you all. And um, they say, no, don't, don't even think about it because we're allied with the Spartans. And if you even think about it you know you know the spartans are going to come in and destroy you but the athenians turn to them and say we have all the right in the world to, to destroy your city because we have power we, and, and might is right so therefore we have you know the just we're just in invading your territory and destroying your city-state and they do it it's, it's in um it's in thucydides peloponnesian war so that's thrasymachus's um answer to what is just just is Whoever is the strongest declares what is, you know, virtually, virtuously moral and just. Well, let's explore that because I think that's worth um, investigating. It's like, and that, well, that also says that it's like uh, ju uh, justice is arbitrary and morality does not exist. 
Yeah, and, well, let's explore that because from a from an individual perspective or from a, a, a government collective, if you're corrupt, if you have power and you can implement your will on others and you can take, like, why wouldn't you do that, right? Why wouldn't you conquer? Why wouldn't you implement your will? Why wouldn't you 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 control and 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 demand? You know, but you think. I hate to take it back to it, but, you know, Hitler thought he was doing the right thing when he was committing his atrocities. He thought he was being just and doing the right thing by his people. I don't think he thought he was committing crimes. He was trying to do the best for his people. Absolutely. So it's it's really insane. The ideology is, is so important to think of, you know, our perspective of the world and what we think is right and wrong. And if we're, we have that, we're certain about that and we believe it and we can fight for it, even if it's, diluted right even if we we think we're doing justice but we're killing people at the same time because it's in, mm. in the name of justice but like it makes sense that um it makes sense that if you as a, as an as a group or as a collective you would use power to benefit yourself or your or your people right mm. but what would stop you from doing that so um socrates uh, socrates in the dialogue says um the individual has this kind of um, essence in them, which is, is is truly good. And to do harm, this is before any of this other stuff. And to do harm to an individual, you know, you're not you're not bringing the you're not bringing the best out in them. So if you want to bring the best out of an individual, you, like 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 a teacher, you know, you you treat them well, you educate them, and you give them love, and you you sort of you water them you grow them and that's how you get the best out of them as an individual as a citizen and that way you get a better civilization but by attacking them and killing them and causing harm you're only you know causing more harm you know it's like negative synergy kind of thing right but if it's like one country you know we're a sovereign country and we have the power to basically annex or to conquer another country like what would stop that country from doing that like i i'm, I'm trying to understand what what would what ideology would would be adopted to stop them from deciding that they don't want to conquer another country instead of they had the 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 possibility of doing it and had the will or had the power not the will well i don't know i don't think uh republics that are talks and that kind of stuff but personally i'd say the individual if i, I world war ii history i'd say the individual doesn't want to doesn't want war, you know. We always want war. With peace in our time, Chamberlain said when he had had an agreement with um with Hitler. But Hitler was a madman, and the whole time he was always undermining the process, and he was always on this path to war. So it was always these maniacal, psychotic leaders that were driving the force and the zeitgeist. So it's uh, yeah. I, I don't think people want to send their children and you know their, their their fathers and their loved ones to war to go and kill other people. Um, unless they're protecting themselves, but if a tyrant or a madman or someone like that gets into power, I think that's a that's a totally different sort of situation in to what we're talking about. That's um, to society going mad, and we can we can tie that in if you want. There's, but, um, it, but it overlaps because the country in itself works as like an organization, and maybe there yeah. are individuals running that, and then the individuals, their ideology, whatever they decide to adopt, influence how they treat other countries. Um, but so, if- so what Socrates talks about, this is um, one of his philosophies, and he says the, the human and the city, because he uses the anthropomorphic concept to explain both of them, the human is made up of reason, spirit, and appetite. 
which is um, reason is like um, a guidance. Um, spirit is like the, the city, it has a leader, has a military force and has workers. So a leader is reason, uh, the military force is spirit and the worker is appetite. And what he says is for someone to be just and happy, all these things have to be in, in, in a line. They have to be in homeostasis. But once one of those things come out of balance, that's when someone starts acting, you know, more selfishly or, you know, aggressively or unreasonably or something like that. So justice is, is harmony between the three, the three um, elements of the soul. It's called the tripartite theory of the soul. Yeah, I like how it has to be aligned and congruent so that it's it's balanced. Um, yeah, but I would. So just- the re- reason reason obviously has the the, the main power because what what I think they think is like reason sort of separates us from the animal from from the animal kingdom. So we always have reason to sort of make us have retrospect and understand things. Appetite is necessary because we've got to go and find food and you know look after ourselves. And spirit, you know, like that's kind of like your your, your ego, your force kind of thing. So to have them all in alignment does make sense. Yeah, de- definitely. I, I feel like the countries can just, they're just representations of the ideology of the people and the, the leaders, yeah. right? So that if they've got power, it doesn't mean necessarily they need to conquer the, the neighbors. It depends on how they use that power. They can use it in a just way if their ideology mm-hmm. is just, or they can use it in an unjust way, d- depending on their ideology. Uh, they can so, conquer, yeah, conquer and, and kill, or they can respect the sovereignties of other countries. It's just that, I think it becomes a bit like murky and ambiguous when what is the sovereignty of, you know, where are the boundaries, where are the borders, what is the sovereignty, who has what land? It becomes it becomes complicated because, mm. you know, before these nations were established in such clear-cut ways, it was like, well, I'm part of Greece. I can just take I can just take Germany. Why not? I can so just take Turkey. If you, if you want to use the analogy, like I said, the polis is one, two, three, the leader, the military force, and the worker. So if any one of them get out of balance, so, okay, the leader's Hitler. So automatically you've got, you've got a psychotic man in power. He builds up the military. And then you've got the worker who's suffering through the depression and all that kind of thing. So all three are out of sync. So that is pandemonium. So that's a good example of how that, that theory can be used to sort of described how uh, a, a city state can fall apart yeah definitely and especially if it like loses oh, its concurrency or, or loses its yeah integrity or becomes lost i guess and it's corrupted mm. well mm. let's let, let's let me ask you this as a question then let's maybe take it back to the, the main idea of the text and think about the shepherd with the ring um like from what when what do you take out of this do you feel like that people are inherently good or inherently bad and do you feel like well even maybe more simply if that if an individual can be corrupt and operate with an impunity why wouldn't they why wouldn't they so, be corrupted okay this is the next part of the this is the next part of the dialogue so after thrasymachus uh walks away um you know socrates kind of you know defeats his argument you know Thrasymachus walks away and Glaucon and I think Polymachus are sitting back around and they're going, you know, we're not convinced with your argument, Socrates, you know, you might, you might have convinced, you know, Thrasymachus, but um, we think you can do better. So Glaucon plays the devil's advocate and he's, he tells the ring, the story of the ring of Gyges. And basically he says that humans are all selfish and unjust 
and uh, justice is not a good in itself. You know, um, justice is self-interested. Uh, that's why it's good. Injustice is is what helps the individual. Justice is created by law. Yeah. So you're saying that he's he's arguing that by being corrupt, the individual benefits. Mm. Yeah. I get. We're, we're getting somewhere here. So. You know what's going to stop someone if, if you benefit from being corrupt why wouldn't you be corrupt why do some people decide to be just is it because of accountability okay. and responsibility or is it something that's within us so this is something this I, I, i've kind of known this for a long time but it wasn't until i read it which it really kind of hit me because jean-jacques rousseau and all those other guys from that period that talk about social contract theory and you're like oh they're geniuses you know they're, they're fucking they're with this great brand new idea but um Glockon actually says it. He says, you know, injustice cause ha- causes harm. So, um, you know, if, if an individual goes out and does whatever he wants, he'll take from someone else. And then that person will be like, I've been wronged. And then maybe he'll go out and harm someone else. And all of a sudden they all get together and they say, guys, guys, we're, we're losing out. We're losing the plot. You know, we live in a society where we've got to help each other. I make the bread, you make the shoes, you make the weapons, you're the doctor, you're the king or whatever. We've got to look after each other. You know, we're pretty much an individual, you know, anthropomorphic um, society. Um, so we have to look after each other. And so pretty much uh, Glaucon hypothesizes the social contract. He says everyone gets together and says, let's all agree not to hurt each other just so that society works well and, you know, we all benefit from it. And that pretty much is the basis for the social contract theory. Yeah, justice is an is a, it, justice is an agreement, and Glaucon argues that it's a convention. So, yeah, yeah, because he, he says he says literally that hence there arise laws and mutual covenants that which is ordained by law and termed by them lawful and just. This they affirm to be the origin and nature of justice. It is a mean or compromise between the best of all, which is to do injustice and not be punished, and the worst of all which is to suffer injustice without power of retaliation and justice being at the middle point between the two is tolerated, not as a good, but as the lesser evil and honored by reason of the uh, inability of men to do an injustice. So how I take that is imagine if you believe in evolution or any kind of um, human, you know, growth through um, time. If there was a time back when we were, you know, like a lion or a tiger or a and you run around yeah there is no justice there is no injustice you just got to take what you got to take to survive that literally there is no morality there is no morality in that sense because you know you're not taking from someone so you've got to you've got to survive but once you know in my mind through through evolution you know we become sort of ape-like creatures we become communal uh, eventually we create societies you get um even those base um what do you call it? Neolithic um, societies where they're only small clans, you know, they've got to work together. They're their family bases, you know, so they've already, by that time, they've already established this social contract. They've already established um, you don't hurt your neighbor. You don't hurt your brother. You don't do this. If you do, we're going to ostracize you. We're going to banish you. Then the agrarian revolution comes along and societies get even bigger and it becomes a bigger problem. So you know, uh, in, in like proto societies, you know, there's a mutual need for people to get along with each other. And, you know, 
that they've got to acknowledge the fact that there's a division of labor and different people have different abilities, which create the society to be as good as it is. And without, you know, looking after each other, it all collapses. If, if everyone keeps on stealing from each other, the society is going to fall apart. But just, as, just as the human will, if, if everything doesn't stay in, you know, balance. But it's interesting to, to add to that is that there's an emotional connection with your tribe. And in a, in a big society, there is no emotional connection because you don't know everyone. So when you're, you're, you're doing wrong, mm. you're corrupt, you know, you still, it's not, it's not like you're hurting everybody. You're just hurting people that you don't know. So then it does, why uh, should it, why should it matter? It's just a bigger example, because if you think I, I could probably hypothesize, think of an Aboriginal culture where, you know, a younger kid done something wrong, you know, he gets ostracized, you know, he, maybe he wanted to fornicate with his, with his, you know, uncle's daughter or something. And that wasn't part of the law, you know, he was kicked out of that society. So you know, there were still laws to govern the just way that society should run. Right. But I mean, to like to add to your argument, you're saying that if there's, we have a, a need and there's community. a necessity, yeah, a necessity to have that community, to have that connection. Um, there's a practical need, but and there's also an emotional needs. And there's also uh, social expectations that keep the group together. Um, and then there's, there's also um, consequences that, that, naturally occur when a person breaks those that that trust or breaks the pact or breaks the uh, unwritten mm. or, or written laws is, is their right? appetite becomes too strong or their reason fails or or their spirit becomes too strong or something like that part of the, the tripartite theory there but like how i see it is as, as, as socrates puts it out is you know we, we come from an individual and we move into a society, but we have to view that society as, as an individual. We have to view ourselves as a part of a whole. I, I agree. And that's the idea of the collective, the idea of community, collective, you know, nationalism mm. versus individualism, right? Is that if we're doing things and we're part of the collective, we're part of a bigger thing or we, we're working together and we have a mutual goal, then there would be no need to be corrupt because when you hurt other people you're hurting a part of yourself yeah right that's the whole idea of isn't that like one of the main ideas of communism isn't that one of the main mm. ideas of of well like one of the ideas right or Mm. one of the ideas of having um very nationalistic states that are very authoritarian is that they're all Mm. working towards a a collective goal and they they're uh, um obligated or obliged to to help the greater good right Mm-hmm. Well, something that Socrates actually says is um, uh, he's not talking about like there's three classes of people. There's a leader, there's the auxiliaries, and then there's the workers. So the leaders don't get possessions or property. Now, I don't know about the, the auxiliaries or the soldiers, but the, the workers, I think they're allowed to have property. They're allowed to go along because, you know, they, they haven't seen, they haven't left the cave. They still think that world exists that the leaders leaders don't but he kind of says something like uh private property having having private property kind of leads to people to to sort of covet what you've got and that kind of leads to people to want to act you know unjustly kind of yeah and that makes a lot of sense when you think about too like politics and and say in the united states where if you're in, in power and you've got um you've got influence and you've got friends and you've got businesses that you know and you get you you gain uh you financially gain economically gain when um, deals are made and connections are made it kind of just it's it's obviously going to be a lot more tempting and you're going to be corruptible if if um your position of power allows you 
to exploit that those um, those advantages, economic advantages, shares, mm. you know, mm. deals. Yeah, it's it's just and you've got the ring on, and if I can get away with doing this deal behind someone else's back, why shouldn't I? Because I'm not going to get caught out for it, you know. And that's very real, right? And that's that's very real. So I've always felt like, you know, can you blame these people for being so corrupt when they they've got so much power and they're legally allowed to do it and they've found ways to to mm. to to be corrupt and implement and exercise that power? Well, you know, I think a lot of people would would also take advantage of that situation. So Glaucon says um, the social contract is actually a farce. He says where we pretend to be good to fool others to treat us well. You know, if we pretend to be good but we do bad behind the scenes people will think we're good so we're going to benefit twice we're going to you know stab you in the back while you're handing us something from the front you know kind of thing it's this is this is glaucon's argument yeah and it's interesting that reputation is is an important part of being corrupt mm, so like mm. if, if you're corrupt and your reputation remains intact if you're still um, honored and respected then it's kind of like it's you're the best version of that um corrupted person or individual so but can you be corrupt and be disgraced and you know and would that be a successful version of, of that's being- a big thing that glaucon says glaucon does this weird chart thing where he kind of says you know um can you be unjust and get away with it can you be just and get blamed for it or can you be unjust and you know vice versa kind of thing so yeah it gets a bit complicated but um but- yeah i was just going to say obviously if you're unjust and you're if you're corruptible and your reputation is stained, then it works in your as a disadvantage, right? Because from, from a tribal connection, you're not trusted. And there's so Glaucon there's, says, Glaucon yeah. says we only act justly because people will, ju- will judge us. Glaucon says we only act justly because the because the culture will condemn us. Uh, there's another guy called Adamantus, and he says we do good in fear of the afterlife. So right, that brings it's, 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 it's definitely culture. It's definitely social expectations, and it's definitely the law. Right. So maybe mm. all of those, but even in just common trust, if people know that people know that you're corrupt, well, you're, you're going to have a particular reputation that maybe, maybe can, can harm you in some way. Right. So these social conventions are what are keeping us in check is pretty much the main argument that, that is that, that Socrates is fighting against. He's trying to argue that, that justice and goodness is an absolute, you know, good in itself a means to an end kind of thing uh everyone else is arguing no no we just do it because of of convention because of culture and because the state has sort of put this into place so that you know we don't destroy ourselves yeah socrates socrates is saying there is this essence there is this you know divine goodness which you know is above everything else it's in our soul and to be a happy person we have to be a good person to, to, yeah. to vary from that, that will create um, imbalance in your soul and you won't be a happy person. That's his yeah. argument. When I first learned about Socrates, Socrates at university, I, I referred to him as the Greek Jesus. For this exact <laughs> Before reason. Jesus. No, but I referred to him as the Greek Jesus, right? The, the oh God. Because of, of that exact reason that he had so much wisdom and, and insight and he was developed a following. He was like that. He was like the Jesus of that time in that way. Right, and then he was also um, executed like Jesus, right? And all, all, all the all the Christian philosophers that um that, that wrote the trees on 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 the early Catholic Church were Platonists, and they they merged Platonism with Christianity. So, if it wasn't for Platonism, they reckon there wouldn't be Christianity. Wow, that's a really interesting point. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that. So, 
yeah, that's very powerful because a lot of these ideas he's talking about really is the essence can be, you know, associated to be the soul. And then this mm. also can be a sign, you know, what is, what is good and ethically we are programmed or um, spiritually programmed to be, to be good or, and maybe it's a part of something else. This essence that's in, inside of us is also a part of something else that's greater. So this idea with Socrates and the essence, um, mm. it, it sort of has religious or spiritual connotations. And it's obviously very easy to use that and, um, mm. and believe in God and you know, believe in a greater power of some, some degree. There's, there's a different text. Uh, it's like the Timaeus or something, or I forget what it is, but um, uh, Plato kind of lays out this concept of like, because in those days, in those days, there's poly, polytheism and, you know, the gods, um, they didn't behave themselves. You know, they acted like people. It's like the reverse of how, you know, we, we see uh, God created it, uh, man in his image. They say man created uh, God in their image. So, you know, Zeus sits, sleeps around and they cheat on each other. They stab each other in the back. They, 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 they act like humans pretty much. But um, Plato kind of hypothesizes this, um, again, the form, this perfect form of one God in heaven. This is a long time before Jesus. And that's, again, this is, this is outside of the Republic, but he kind of um, precurses um, that Christian sense. Although there was the monotheism of, of, of Israel and all that kind of stuff. But um, I'm not religious at all, but... Um, I'm glad, I'm really glad that Christianity was able to take hold and use that concept of, um, you know, being good, being just, doing the right thing, you know, took a hold of society and had permeated its way all the way through. So people just have, it's, it's been instilled in our mind to be good just for some reason, you know. Um, in the ancient Greek days, you know, um, like ethics was like, you know, do harm to your enemies, you know, do good to your friends. Um, it wasn't until Socrates comes along and says, no, it's never right to do harm to anyone. You know, good is, is the, the uppermost um, essence. Yeah, that's extremely interesting. What about if I threw this question at you, right? Do you think it's possible if, if a whole society was corrupt, then it wouldn't matter if we had the reputation of being good, if everybody was kind of bad? And I'll give you a quick example. Like um, here in Colombia in the, in the 80s, Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar was obviously the, the big uh, cocaine dealer and he became super powerful. Uh, he had more money than he could physically count. Um, mm -hmm. But even though he was a, he, he was a drug dealer, he, he didn't want to be known as a drug dealer. He tried to be mm -hmm. a politician. He, and he, he tried to be, get, become the president, but he was actually shunned and rejected and ostracized when they found out you know, when it was made public that he was corrupt. So mm -hmm. someone that kind of like obviously corrupt, um, he was ostracized from his own society and, and any, because, because it was considered to be considered to be unethical or depraved. Right. Is, mm. Can you think of an example where you have a society where it doesn't matter if that everyone is, is corrupt or people are corrupt and they're not no. excluded or is there no consequence? Is there none? Not at all. Why? Because the center will not hold. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So you think that's, that's what it is. So you can't have a society that is, is inherently corrupt because everything will just fall into itself yeah. and it would just destroy all against itself. all. That, no, okay. That goes to um, uh, Hobbes, John, John Hobbes or whatever it was, you know, life is um, nasty, brutish, short and whatever that, all that kind of crap he says is like, um, 
in in um, a state of nature this is social contract theory in a state of nature it's all against all and it doesn't matter so we need the social contract we need to we need people to um agree to be good to each other otherwise everything will fall apart so i'll read the first line of this turning and turning in the widening gyre the falcon cannot hear the falconer things fall apart the center cannot hold mere anarchy is loosed upon the world the blood dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity and that's exactly how i see it if if everyone just you know went free for all you know uh, yeah yeats, okay that well that makes sense so with that particular poem there's so much to unpack out of that because like i haven't studied that poem so I don't know the, the, the what he's re referencing there, what's falling apart. Is that a metaphor? World War One. Right, a metaphor. Society is falling apart, yeah. Okay. But I guess going back to our text, like unless you want to unpack the ideas of the poem a little bit more. No, is, no, not that um, fast. Uh, it does the corrupt individual basically always have to appear to be to be just, you know, instead of um, a, a corrupt individual not, can't be, um, be seen as corrupt otherwise. Um, their reputation will be stained and they'll be disadvantaged or they will be threatened by some either organization or, or yes. other individuals. Yes. The, the collective will attack the virus. If, you're, if you are the enemy of the state and you are causing harm, you will be ostracized. People will attack you. They'll throw you out. You'll become a scapegoat. Um, as I said, because we're not in the state of nature anymore, we've, we've become a society, we've, we've, we've become a unity. So we all have to work, you know, together for things to work out. Everyone, you know, pretends, hmm, you know, that's another sort of topic there. Um, I, th I think we all, we all try to get away with trying to be injustice, unjust in, in ways, you know, here and there we'll do something which we know we shouldn't do. But, you know, I don't think it ever gets to that point where it can be like devastating to society. You know, we might, we might hit a street sign and just drive off and not, you know, something stupid like that. If, if, if we think it's not going to cause too much damage, we, we just, we just won't bother. But for me personally, I feel like if, if I've harmed someone um, bad enough and they don't know, I will go and tell them, you know, for me personally, I don't know if that's an inherent thing or if it's something instilled by society, but I feel like it, it, we, we jumped the gun a lot. Um, there's this, um, Immanuel Kant, his, his philosophy was um, you do right just for the sake of doing right. You do right so that you know that everyone else will do right. Imperative, the categorical imperative. It's called the categorical imperative. So you do right just to hold up your duty so that everyone else will do the same thing. If we all do the right thing, society will work and everything will work out. So you just have to trust in the fact that everyone will do the right thing. Yeah. So there's, again, I guess, a, a social expectation um, and the ideas of the collective. And there's definitely, a, you know, accountability there. People don't want to have their reputation stained. Um, Not even that, though. So like not reputation stained it's just like i don't want to be hurt so i'm not going to hurt you because you'll hurt me back that's how i see it this is how this is my theory so i'm not going to hurt anyone because i don't want anyone to hurt me so i feel like if we all take that's social contract theory i guess i'm a contract theorist <laughs> in that sense 
I haven't, haven't kind of gotten to that enlightened level of, of Socrates quite yet. Um, what kind of gets me is that there are people out there that um, are only good in, in the sense that they feel like that they, they, they may suffer in the afterlife, you know, I, that, that goes over my head. I feel like we're here and we're, we're here now. We have to do good now. We have to look after each other. I imagine that a lot of people, like if, if, if they can hurt people and get away with it and there's like, again, impunity, then there's, they, they don't have to worry about consequences from, the, from their victims or the, the people that have been, um, been wronged, so to speak. So I, I also feel like the, the ethical system in place by the, the individual society has a huge part of this, right? Like what you consider to be, what are your own ethical values, how you consider you should treat other people and the world. And, you know, something that came to me when I was reading this text, I'm not sure of what you think about this, is that I feel like we all have this inherent responsibility to, to grow and um, like awaken our own uh, ethical congruence, if I can use that term. And that means to me, like we become aware of our actions, we become aware of how our actions implement, like what you're saying, you know, affect other people. We are aware of um, how good things do positive things and bad things do you know, negative things, which is the same thing. Um, and with that all in mind, it's kind of like once, once you have that awareness is that it's a lot easier to choose to be good because you're aware of um, the impact of your decisions. But if you don't grow emotionally or spiritually or, or morally, ethically, philosophically, Imagine like a child soldier that's eight years old and was trained to kill people in, in the jungle with a gun. You know, they've never had the chance to grow those emotions and feelings and they've been told one thing and they've been um, conditioned to, to kill. Would they, have, would they have, do you think they would have um, sadness and, and empathy for their victims, you know, killing other children, killing other adults if that's what they were programmed to do and that's what, how they grew up? I don't think they would. Um, no. but, but only as an adult, you know, then they go through that, they go through that trauma. Um, no, even adults don't. I've, I've heard plenty of World War II stories where, you know, the first few times, yeah, it was devastating, but eventually it's just a job, you know, we trust yeah. in the leader. Right. But like, why do you think that that individual just is, are they suppressing how they really felt or they, they're being conditioned to behave in a certain way? They're not enlightened. Yeah. They've been, they've been conditioned. So, so a big, a big part of the, a big part of the Republic is, is about education. So he says for people to um, understand this level of the tripartite level of the soul and to be able to control themselves in that, in that level, we have to educate society to, to, to understand that, that concept. We're, we're, all, we're all lost. We're all in this cave. We don't know what's going on. And we need someone to teach us that we need that, you know, the despot king from the cave to, to, to figure it out and come and educate the rest of us because we're all kind of lost at the moment. We all, we all running around like Socrates does. He runs around and asks questions about things and no one knows the answer. They all think they have the answer, but they don't. Yeah. And I guess that's so we, what I, that's... we need to, we need to re, we need like this. I listened to a lecture the other night and he said, you know, if, if we, if he's talking about, um, you call it social social politics as being a science. And he says, well, it's not considered a science, but can you imagine if we've studied social politics for the past two and a half thousand years, what, where we would be now? Maybe it would be a science. They've been studying medicine for that long. If we'd studied this for two and a half thousand years, maybe we, we could have come to a point where, you know, we could all agree on an absolute good. Hmm. Well, I guess that's true because like it's a lot of the, 
like I would feel like the natural consequences of, of being unjust is, is that like you have mentioned is the damage that you do your impact to other individuals. Is that right? Mm. So like that's mm. kind of, kind of Taking gauge. someone else. Yeah. Causing harm. That's the gauge, right? Like, am I doing something that is negatively impacting another individual? Is that an ethically right thing to do? Am I protecting myself from harm or am I harming for no reason? Because I want something right. Mm. Um, is there a connection there between, um, you know, the, the, the enlightened individual or the aware individual and how we emotionally feel to the decisions that we make on a, on a, uh, in, in a, in a, in a moment by moment basis, every moment that you make a decision, mm. you know, shouldn't you be able to feel the impact of that decision? Shouldn't we take responsibility for that decision? I think right. so. Right. I think so. So if, if, if that's the case, then like, if you're, if we're listening to our own inner compass and our, our, our emotions, like um, Neil Donald Walsh out of conversations with God says that emotions are the language of the soul. And if you mm -hmm. listen to your emotions, when you're, and you listen to your emotions, when you you're feeling something out, it's, it's pretty simple to kind of, well, not pretty simple, but it, it can be easier, I guess, to choose to do the just thing. There's the, I forget what the book's called, but it's, um, you know, the, the, the men of, you know, some kind of company in World War II and, you know, they, they were forced to go out and shoot all, all the Jews in, in the Ukraine and out of like, you know, 50 people, um, 50 German um, police officers, they they go out and they shoot these Jews and out of all those 50, only one or two stopped and they did it once and they just went, I can't do this, you know. They're in a compass, you know, fucking half a percent said no we can't do this their moral compass wasn't strong enough you know that was strong enough but for the rest of them it was the state you know, but do you think the, the, yeah do you think that was like they're, they're suppressing their own emotions because i feel like you know, I just don't think they were educated properly that's what i think that's what this text is saying mm, i feel like the text, i think the text the text is saying that we need to educate people to think properly yeah, so we, exactly. So like, that's what the, the whole allegory of the cave is about that, right? So like bringing down the light, illuminating the people so people can have awareness and wisdom and, and, and they're conscious of their decisions and, and the world so they can be better people and become philosophers. Um, you know, so if, if an individual is not aware of how they really feel, like they're just really, they're hurting other people, but they're also hurting themselves. I think mm. there's a trauma that happens. I realize yeah, they don't realize, and there's a trauma that happens there. So that's they're doing it because they're being conditioned to do it. But um, I think there's a ultimately, even if they're not fully conscious people, there's still a trauma that's happening internally, uh, of course, on an emotional level. And that goes back to the tripartite thing. You know, you, you're at, you're out of balance, and and it's only going to get worse. But it's something that I always say is like, you know, just imagine um, my theory. Go back to evolution. You know, two million years ago, you this fucking you this some kind of ape-like creature or even before that you know um there aren't there is no morality in, in in the wild you know life is nasty brutish and short or whatever um you've got to do whatever you can to survive we've got all these emotions and all these drives and all these um, needs that we need to fulfill and you know two million years later all, all of a sudden we're in this modern day age where you know you and i are connecting on the antipodes of the planet on the other end of the planet in in a split second and we're in this civilization with eight billion people and but the problem is um 
what do you call it? Physiologically, we still have these drives and these urges of an animal. We have the brute instinct inside us, which takes us back into the wild. But at the same time, we have this rational mind, which has evolved and it's in combat with this eternal stroll for possession of our soul to try and figure out what the right thing to do is. Should I fulfill my appetite or should I listen to reason and hold out and do the, do the right thing, which I believe good looking after people is the right thing, but I, I enjoy, you know, a bit of appetite too. So we kind of, we kind of, that's what philosophy is all about. That's such a powerful thing that you said there. It's like the instinct and the desires uh, fighting the reason and, and for your, the possession of your soul. Cause that kind of fits in what I was saying too, like in the sense of every decision has an impact. And if it's, mm. if, if you're following those instincts and you're hurting the, hurting the soul, you're hurting the core of who you are as an individual, this essence that you mentioned. So let me ask you a question that runs on the back of that. So you're, you're basically saying that then power and corruption uh, is founded from our uh, biological instinctive emotions that mm. manifest in, in ways that are harmful. Yes, 100%. Totally agree with that. Look at Hitler. You know, Hitler kicked out all the Jews from, from World War II, you know, in, in Germany. Um, if he kept those guys, you know, he might have won the war. If, if, if Hitler marched into bloody East, Eastern Europe or whatever, sorry to keep on using Hitler. I've just studied too much of it. If Hitler marched into Eastern Europe and he just said, I'm here to liberate you guys from Stalin and look after you guys and be the good guy and everything's going to be all right, he would have conquered the world. But he marched in there and he said, we are the supermen, you are the under race and we're going to kill you all. And they went, oh, we better fight for our lives. <laughs> so why instinct there was was he running on was he running on that like a hierarchical power um dominance type instinct he was in fear he had this weird philosophy where uh the the, the german people were superior and they needed land to survive and these other people were subhuman so they didn't deserve to survive that was right. his philosophy. So that to me, like it, it spurs on maybe um, appetite, probably. Yeah, maybe uh, you know having enough oh, territory, yeah. territory, fear. yeah, and fear. Like I, I need this space for myself, and mm. uh, if you come near me, I'm going to attack you. Kind of fear. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that's another. That's just, that's another level. I, I I read through a lot of the Republic, and he doesn't really explain that level of um of of, of justice, you know, the, the justice of going to war. He doesn't really touch on that one. So I don't think I can use any of Socrates' ideas for that one. Well, yeah, but when we were talking about different countries, it kind of makes sense because like, you know, maybe a just country wouldn't want to take over or conquer another country. But if you were protecting your own country from invasion, then it would, would it be mm. a just thing to do to protect. Of course, yeah, I believe. Yeah, so I, I think it fits fits well there. So we're saying that lots of, so basically our inherent corruption, our innate corruption is, is directly connected with our innate uh, primordial biological instincts that we can't control. I don't know, like what about the emotion greed, for example, that mm. is, is that a baseline primitive emo emotion? Well, in Socrates, that's appetite. Yeah. Yeah. That's so letting like, your appetite get out of way. Right. Yeah. So, having, work. so if you steal because you're greedy, and you, you mm. and you can't control yourself basically you're you're just losing control and you're, you're mm. letting your rational mind being able to to, to process uh, a better way of handling that situation 
Mm-hmm. I guess we're coming to the limits of um of Socrates almost because we're coming to, to to points. I think I think Aristotle sort of explains things a bit better, and future philosophers also do. You think of utilitarianism, and like you know, can you can you blame someone um, for stealing a loaf of bread just to feed their family? You know, there's the ultimate corruption within society of um, those who have and those who don't have. And just because one man has all the money, amassed all the wealth, and this this poor family has nothing, you know, are they unjust by taking a loaf of bread? Yeah, and obviously not, right? If you're you're doing it because you're trying to survive, then the society is corrupt, right? Not you. Mm. But um, if you're stealing because you 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 know you've already got millions of dollars, but you're 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 doing shady deals you know trying to make mm. you know with oil companies or pharmaceutical mm. companies making more millions of dollars like does it really matter if you have more millions of dollars or you own more land like mm. how much land are you going to walk upon it mm. makes absolutely no difference to the individual it's just out of control greed yeah. right it's just corrupting yeah. the individual i think that i forgot what he would have called that probably spirit you know something about ego yeah yeah i don't know just just I, drive for itself or appetite I, no, no, no it's just just out of control um severely mentally ill appetite (laughs) yeah absolutely and i think it's like you said i think that's a pretty good explanation is that you know if if you're a listener or if if i would if or if i was talking to one of my students or one of my friends but i can't the the kind of message out of this that i feel would be that you know are your primordial instincts um directly impacting your behavior in a negative way by corrupting you i guess Mm. Mm. Um, I was reading reading some Cicero a while ago, and he always he always refers to to the, the rationalization of things. Like that, what separates us from animals is, is our mind, uh, able to ra- ration uh, rationalize things. So, you know, always remember that. Always remember that you know we are animals, but we've got that extra level, um, which which makes us to be able to think about consequences and our responsibilities and our duties and um which which makes us part of a community and we're not um solitary animals that live out in the wild that you know it's it's all against all you know it's synergy if you understand the word synergy two so two you know, one plus one equals three if we work together we only create a, a greater positive and the evidence of that is the western world we you know everything that we have is just unbelievable it's like we're living in a science fiction universe and that's only because society has worked out well and we look after each other especially in australia here man if anything if 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 you see someone on the side of the road injured you go and you help them and i don't know if that's what part of that you know drives you to do that but it's just innate somehow and um you know for, for me it's like i think i'd want someone to help me someone else might think oh jesus is watching me it could be anything like that. Yeah. Okay. I think that to add to that, you were talking about the this obligation that we have to to kind of help as natural obligation we have, like ethical obligation we have to help people. Uh, I think that's a sense of belonging. I think that's a, a sense mm. of connection to society, connection to the the group and the tribe. And we're now kind of like ethically programmed. It feels like and connected and bonded to to take care of our um to take care of our fellow human being and that's something that we've evolved to do right we're successful mm. and mm. i was having a conversation with my students the other day saying why do we feel a sense of shame um mm. when, when you do something and you it's when you do something that you consider to be bad and usually when you reflect on it you feel shame and you um it's i feel like shame is is a 
it's a protection mechanism so that it teaches you that this thing that I did was bad. Uh, you should feel bad about it because especially if you're going to be caught, you're probably going to be ostracized or punished. You're causing mm. harm to the group. So don't do it again. Your body, literally your body is telling you not to do it again, right? So it's like, that's that's very, very innate in us as humans to feel shame when we do something that's out of out of line with the social expectation. So, mm. you know, just like you mentioned, where um, you see someone that's hurt on the street, you will go and help them, right? You see someone that needs help, it's, it's innate to do that. So I think that mm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of social programming that's actually become biological programming now too. But the funny thing with that is that's if you live in the right society, because, you know, you hear of places like China where you wouldn't dare help someone, help someone because they'll grab under you and say, you're the one that injured me. Or you think if you're in a third world country, you might get yourself in more trouble if you go and help hurt someone, help someone, you know, in Australia, we've kind of, I don't know, there's this, this balance where, you know, you know, you're going to be okay kind of thing. No, no one's going to turn around and blame you for hurting them if you help them kind of thing. They're only going to say, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Maybe in China it's, well, I don't know if like, I. they're so desperate. Yeah. I don't, I don't know where that comes from in China. I don't know how much that occurs in China, but it's, that's um, really unfortunate. Like I feel like. That's, that's anecdote. I don't know how true that is. Yeah, like I feel like in Colombia, I'm living. I'm living in a in a developing country. Like people, I've seen people like get hurt, and I've seen people run to help them and motorbike accidents. And um, I saw a lady today fall over and and really just smash her head against a a tin garbage bin. And the security guard rushed over to help her. And um, that's good. My that's good. my wife saw an old guy fall over in the in the park, and she ran over to help him too. That and that was nice. Um, that's great to hear. Yeah, and I feel like we do have that. We, we, it's definitely programmed in us unless it's programmed, you know, out of us, you know, maybe mm. culturally. Um, mm. But what about this idea? Like, you know, I guess going back to the text, do you feel like that people only do good if they're rewarded? Like he's, he's arguing, Plato's arguing, who's arguing here? Glucon? Glucon. Glucon. He's arguing that there's no actual, you know, and this is, he's, he's explained it phenomenally where he explained that um, the person that's unjust acting with impunity and, and living in, in an advantage, having an advantage by being corrupt benefits. And he's kind of gloating in the, in the power and glory. Whereas the, um, the just person, if the person was just, and he's saying that was, was seen to be or viewed to be as unjust or corrupt, then there would be no benefit to being just right. There'd be no benefit to the man to try to be just um, or do the right thing because he's viewed as mm. someone that is corrupt. Do you agree with that? Do you know, like, no. what do you think? What oh. do you think about that idea? No, no, I don't agree. Yes. I think it makes sense, but kind of how I see it, I see it in, in two ways. So Socrates would kind of say, Plato would say the tripartite sense of the soul. Once um, that's out of balance. That's when, you know, you as an individual start to fall apart. You know, you as a, as uh, you, you, I think it's like eudaimonia, you know, you as a happy person, you'll be unhappy because you're out of balance. There's something wrong. Something's not quite working out. The um, homeostasis, you know, you're not in order. So that's kind of how I think Socrates would explain it. But how I see it is kind of like, Again, evolutionarily, you know, we 
we grew up in small, you know, uh, tribal groups where, you know, the family would raise you and um, ethically look after you and be responsible for you and help you. And um, then the tribe would, would guide you and look after you and help you. And, and eventually you have a responsibility to, to give back to that tribe. And I think throughout history, that's kind of been an ever increasing kind of thing. And if you, th- and if you think of like, even in the animal world, there's these, um, uh, African dogs, sub-Saharan African dogs, where, um, have you seen it, where they, they, they'll, they'll, catch, they'll catch a prey and, and the, the young dogs will catch it, they'll have their feed and then they'll stand around the prey while the old dog comes along who has no teeth and he gets to sit there and he gets to suck on the meat to get his fill because these young dogs respect, you know, well, we assume, you know, the, the old dog is the one that taught the young dogs and raised the young dogs and, and brought him along. There's, there's more, you know, there's strength in the, in the pact, in the pack. Yeah. There's a, if, if they let the old dog die, it'd be like, well, then they're going to let me die later on, you know? Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But I guess that's the, the, the social group working together collaboratively and respecting the, the individual. If you were good, but seen as bad or you're seen as corrupt i do kind of agree with that it doesn't seem to be on the on the the face level there's any reason to be to continue to be just why why would you keep being just if you're not being rewarded or or recognized to be just it's in the essence of human psychology i think is how plato uh, socrates would put it psychologically it would do damage to yourself in what way guilt conscience fear that, that you know oh hey we were right you are unjust yeah and that's something that we haven't spoken a lot about but i feel is really important that the individual and the conscious of of the individual like when i'm when i make a decision that i'm not proud of like you might get a mental illness from it your ethical compass tells you that god is that who i want to be and it, mm. it, it hurts like you know you mm. have anxiety about it you can't sleep if it's something yeah. that's you know you you stress about it because it's it changes your whole identity and you know i would argue that it doesn't matter really how people see you at all it's it's primarily how you see yourself um mm. and, and your own sense of honor or integrity that, that really matters mm. right but um there's not a lot there exploring the idea of individual um conscious you know, in the- no, I think I think I think there is. I think it's that tripartite theory. That's that has to be in balance. You, you have, I think you have to der- derive it yourself. Though you have to kind of pull it out and sort of see it. Just say, like I said, you know, like you may cause mental illness within yourself, or you know, as I said, for, uh, you know, we always said you were unjust, and now you just proved it. We had no proof before, but now we think it. We, now we see it, kind of thing. Kind of, it's like a slippery slope. Hmm. You, you put, um, you know, the, the, the tripartite sort of senses out of whack. So you become unhappy as a result. It's all about equilibrium, balance, homeostasis. Well, okay. I wasn't able That's to. It's a whole theory. You know, is the individual's sense of moral compass stronger than society's view or perception of the individual? Yes, 100%. I'm a vegan. People attack me all the time for it. Yes. Why would you do that? <laughs> it's murder. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, all right. I like that. I, I definitely feel that there's a sense of integrity there that that is 
just as important because the the the, the analogy or the allegory is a little bit flawed for me because I feel like oh it is it, flawed. Well, it's an excellent it's an excellent allegory to show his to prove his point because the allegory demonstrates that you know once the once the shepherd has the ring, he's able to operate and do bad things with impunity and it's a lot easier mm. to do bad things and good things with a ring and invisibility mm. so that the allegory works very very organically but i felt like a, maybe a better allegory would be like if if someone was given the the complete powers of god right and said okay you mm. can do, do whatever you want that pretty much it. is that pretty much is what it is but i don't feel it is because no I, that, that's the that's the idea yeah because I feel like, how can he do like, well, let me ask you this. And how can he nah. do good things? And it works because he can do good things and he's not recognized because he's invisible. And that strengthens his argument, right? Because that's what mm -hmm. he's saying. Why would oh, you okay. be, why would you do good things if you're invisible and no one cares and you're not getting recognized? So but by God gets love and praised and altars and sacrifices. But like, maybe it would be just like, you have the power of God and you're, you know, you're just a human in human form. God isn't, God isn't selfless. Well, it depends on what God you believe, but hear me out, <laughs> you know, hear me out here. If, if you had the power of God to do an infinite amount of good things or an infinite amount of bad things, and you would in human form, then what would you choose? I feel like that would be a better allegory of unbiased in the premise, right? Because mm. if I gave you right now, if I gave you that power, I said, right now, Alan, you're God, do whatever you want. Would you tell me that right now in this podcast that, that you would, the first things you would do is, is be corrupt and do evil things? I would say something which I would probably regret the thinking it was ethical, but then realize I'd probably need to wait like 50 years to try and figure out a treatise on how to actually plan it out. And it would still be fall. It's, it would still, still fall apart, you know? Like Socrates, Socrates spent his whole life trying to figure out how to create the perfect society. He went to uh, Syracuse to try and actually do it himself, you know, the, the enlightened uh, despot or whatever, uh, Dionysus, and that he got arrested, he got, it all fell apart for him. He thought he had the answers. So you give me 50 years to try and write a treatise on uh, how, how to make the world perfect, and, and, and I won't be able to do it, you know. Maybe thousands of years we could figure it out, but, um, you know, you, you'd say it now, I'd say... Uh, you know, let's, let's make everyone equal. You know, if someone wants to work a little bit harder, yeah, let give them some more money, but you know, that'll fall apart too. So, but to simplify this, that if, if you had infinite power with impunity that you would, I would try and do good, you would try to do good. Right. Yes. Is that, is that because you can see consider yourself to be a morally developed, like ethically mature person that you've established that identity through time um, yes. and, and awareness Yes, I mean I've self-indoctrinated myself through philosophy. Right. So that's if you gave someone infinite power, you know, maybe let me take you here and infinite power, and they didn't have that, let's say, ethical maturity. Um, would you not blame them for behaving the way that they're behaving because they haven't got the the self-control, the awareness, or the or the emotional maturity um, to be able to behave responsibly? Hmm. It'd be a catastrophe, but yeah, is it their fault? Is it society to blame? Yeah, I, I like. I society guess society to blame. Yeah, so they they would act badly, right? If they were just less mature, some, I guess some may. Mm. 
So I, I want I, all the wealth in the every. I want all the wealth in the world. Every every possession that belongs to everyone else in my lap. So I guess I'm trying to make like a spiritual, emotional, philosophical connection here, and like where what depending on your emotional and ethical philosophical stance would depend on how you wield that power. And it also depends on how much um, you've developed your maturity. And I'll give you a really bad example. And you can tell me what you think of this. I know a guy right now and he's like our age, he's recently divorced. I won't mention any names. Right. And um, for the first time in his life, he's, he's divorced and he has access to a lot of women. So he's on all these applications and he's, you know, he's getting lots of strong, uh, let's say responses and you know he's able to inter into interact with women from a place of power and leverage that he never had before and he's kind of like in this euphoria and and i'm talking to this individual who who is a good friend of mine and i'm just like bro you're acting like a teenager you know like mm -hmm. i do not care how many how many girls you sleep with it does not interest me to have those conversations we're not 18 anymore like um but I'm looking at his behavior and I've said to him is that you seem to need to experience this stuff so that you can emotionally mature through it and become, I don't know, um, you become an adult, you know, but because you haven't done it before, it's kind of like, it's, it's a big thing for you, you know, it's, and it's, it's a huge deal for you. And it's, it's something that's important to you. And, but isn't that the same when it comes to like power and material wealth and uh, corruption, if it's something that maybe you haven't, experienced it can be something really attractive but if you've had mm. if, if you've got more maturity then it's should it rational. be as yeah like and you're coming from the rational and it's like is this really what i want is this really where i want to be is it really reflecting who i am why mm. should this you know these this be so appealing to me when it's really not going to give me anything nourishing it's not going to give me anything mm. spiritually um, spiritually yeah. satisfying. It's just, it's just yeah. gratification. And I, you know, I'm looking at Conor McGregor and I see him behaving like that and I won't go on that tangent just yet, but I guess, what, what do you think of that? Is there a connection there in the sense of like uh, emotional growth and awareness to how corrupt we are as an individual? I keep on repeating myself back on to Socrates. It's he's letting the appetite control the ration, the ration, that rationalization, the brain, you know, he's giving in, he's letting, he's letting his, um, you know, tripartite sense, you know, become unbalanced. Right. So let me ask you this. Then once the appetite is, is satisfied and he moved through satisfying the appetite again and again Regret. and again, do you grow through those experiences and it, you've developed more maturity or do you um, just live in this insatiable uh, plateau of, of, of desire? I'd say, I'd say it becomes harder. I'd say, I'd say, yeah, maybe, yeah, get into it. I'm doing it myself at the moment, but um, you know, but once you commit to the, the appetite, it's hard to get out of it. You might fall, you get, you know, find yourself in a whirlpool, which, is hard to get out of. And yeah, you may come out, you may come out um, a bit more wise later on, but isn't it best just to, you know, just to be balanced and rational and not hurt anyone in the process? Yeah. I That's feel like good. it's part of the human condition that a lot of us seem to have the need to experience that. It seems to you need to experience the the gritty and the grimy and the um, the immaturity to grow as individuals before we have enough power and um, conscious and awareness uh, 
I guess is the better word, not consciousness, awareness to behave ethically. I don't know. I don't know who said it. I read Cicero. I'm not going to say it properly. It was either Cicero or Aristotle. And he says, the intelligent person can learn from viewing someone else's actions. The normal person can learn through experience and the idiot can't learn. Yeah, but there's a different type of learning there. There's a, there's a conceptual knowledge-based learning, but it doesn't have any, you, you don't really have that gut experience type of learning. I would you don't argue. need to. You, don't you might need not to, need though. to. I guess you might not Why need to. Why do you need to? I, I need to go out and fuck 10 women to realize that fucking I'm hurting them and whatever the hell may happen, or I can just look at someone else and realize it's a bad thing or drugs. I can look at a heroin addict on the road and see, oh, maybe I shouldn't do that, you know? The, yeah. the rationalization that that's what separates us from the animals we well, we have a brain which can see into the future and predict what may happen well sometimes it's not as clear cut as that sometimes you're having sex with those you know you're being intimate with those women and you're not necessarily hurting them um maybe they're in a consent uh consensual type um casual relationships and it's just you know it, it's just consensual let's say consensual casual fun but you know you're not directly hurting them so then um you know, there's no direct negative reaction from them, but it's, it's still a behavior that maybe like they're not benefiting from and you're not benefiting mm. from. Right. Um, or maybe it's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm drinking a lot and I'm enjoying drinking this alcohol, but I'm not really hurting anyone. I'm just sort of, I'm sort of hurting myself, but I don't really know how much then do I have to learn and grow through that experience or not. Right. So maybe it's, sometimes it seems to be a little bit more ambiguous and then, but you, you know what I mean? That's so like, then the individual, I don't know, has a, has a, has a choice to either grow from it or not grow from it. Mm. I don't know. Well, I'm just I'm just feeling a sense of like our ethical, you know, our ethical um, growth and spiritual growth uh, is is somehow connected to our ethical responsibilities and integrity. You know, this maturity of as we learn and grow, we seem to want to put away the toys. And then be more responsible, I guess, and, and be better mm. people and then adopt the, the chalice or the mantle of integrity, right? Mm. Virtuous duty. Yeah. Mm. But I, I don't know if any, everyone can be virtuous without, no, having, so. without having experienced the, the immaturity. Even, even having experienced the immaturity, they, they may not become virtuous. Some people are too close to the, to the brute, I guess Cicero would say, or Aristotle. Some people, yeah, I, I was thinking it the other day, I forgot what it was. What was I talking, saying, saying something, you know, the, the, guy, the guy that shot John Lennon, you know, how can, I, I wrote on YouTube, how, how can this demon have, you know, fooled so many people to think that he was a human, you know? How, how could Hitler have fooled so many people into thinking that he was human? Was he a human? Was he subhuman? He was a monster. Why? Because he killed 30 million, 50, 70, 70 million people, whatever. But he's, he, wasn't he's just ideology in his perspective on life that he thought, as you mentioned before, he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he, he, was, thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was but just. A, he thought he was reasonable. He thought he was rational. He thought he was. Um, he thought, he thought, he thought. Mm. What about those 70 million people? Yeah. But if you're about the children, the tears flowing from my eyes thinking about it. 
yeah but if you if you think that you're doing the right thing if you think that you're just even when you're causing harm to each other harm to others then doesn't make him right doesn't make him right no um i don't I know said he's less less than he's, he's more on the animal instinct on the brute yeah well that's that's if, if you can't empathize with someone else's pain would, wouldn't mm. that be a talking about social conditioning wouldn't that be a lack of social con- conditioning or a, a lack of empathy a lack of something gone wrong in your social programming there that's the other thing that i, I heard from this lecture I, I hate that i can't um give you a footnote for it but he kind of says in the start of the dialogue socrates kind of compares politicians to doctors and this is just after hippocrates and this is this is one of my um um what do you call it mottos first do no harm socrates there's a hippocratic oath first says first do no harm and um, when Socrates begins his debate with Thrasymachus, he says, compare the doctor and the politician, you know, um, do you think that the doctor wants to cause harm? So, you know, the, the first and foremost thing that we should do in society is do no harm. That is the, the ultimate good. Yeah. And that's like when, when you start harming people, then you know, immediately that you're kind of corrupted, I would, I would argue. And, and to do bad is to take away from people. Yeah. And that's exactly how this text begins is like, you know, to, to, to do injustice is a good thing, you know, to suffer the injustice, you know, is when people are, uh, are basically, you're the victim of that injustice. And that's, mm. that's, that's a bad, well, um, then that's a bad thing, right? That's, that's a worse thing. Um, and I guess that goes back to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and property. Once you take any of those things away from someone, you're causing harm. A little bit exhausted by it all. Um, it's pretty intense. Mm, interesting. Very intense. Well, okay. Well, maybe we can finish off then by giving, you can give, well, let me ask you, what do you think? How, if, if there's any listeners that have got this far, which I doubt it, um, how, what, what would you say to someone or what advice could you give to someone about how to be an ethically good person and perhaps, um, you know, override or transcend through our, our appetites or our, you know, innate biological drives that quite often do us harm. You like your long, complex, bloody questions, don't you? Well, the way I deal with life is, is multifaceted. So first, the Hippocratic Oath, first do no harm. To me, that's the most important thing. Um, you know, um, I, I believe that through evolution, you know, we've kind of evolved to, um, you know, look after each other, um, to help each other out. I don't know. I, I feel like I have to, yeah, it kind of goes back to um, Glockon's argument. I have to kind of prove to people that I'm a good person so that they can trust me, like that kind of thing. So that's one i don't know if it's actually how i feel but one of my arguments for being a vegan is like um you know you guys don't hurt each other or kill anyone because there's a law which stops you from doing that but me by being a vegan there's no law that stops me from killing animals but i take that extra step and i don't kill animals because i think it's a a wrong thing to do um i kind of preface that with um you know the idea of you know i don't want you to hurt me so I'm not going to hurt you, but I preface that with first do no harm. 
so that's kind of how I balance that out. And sorry, I forget the end of, end of what you said. Yeah, I guess we're just trying to get to like what motiv- what motivates the individual to do the right thing. And that's, you're, you're sort of saying that it's because, you know, causing harm to other, other living things is, is causing harm to yourself. Mm, okay, you could take it to that psychological level as well, I think, for some people. But then there's mental illness, severe mental illness, which can override that imbalance i guess sure i remember once i was in malta and i was like 25 and my uncle pointed to some um well-dressed gentleman that was walking down the street in the capital of malta which is valletta and he said to me see that guy over there he makes a lot of money because he's like into some shady shit he's like a a Mm. drug dealer and Mm. i looked at him and the first thing i said to him and i felt was like yeah well i bet i sleep a lot better than that dude <laughs> and he looked at me and he was like shocked and he was like a bit impressed and he was like yeah that makes mm. sense mm. and that's kind of how i feel is like you know if you do shady shit if you if you're if you're doing things that are corrupt it's kind of like who do you have to be and what do you have to worry about and you know how do you fit into society there are so many complications it's just it's, it's so much easier within modern society to be i feel like it's a lot easier to be good um, it's a lot easier to be moral. It's a lot easier to be, to treat people with respect. And, and like you said, work together using that synergy, because if you, if you harm other people, then whatever we seem to give out in the universe comes back to us. And within a society, we don't have to worry about power and might because we're protected by an institution, the, the government, right? Um, if it was, yeah, it's a bit different if you're, you know, living on a farm and, people have the right to come in and kill you and take your farm. If that's, that's, there's no law, right. Or if it's just anarchy or it's, you know, it's, it's the United States, you know, when colonization took place, mm-hmm. you know, in the 1600s and 1700s where there's just, there's not enough regulations and there's, there's just nothing. Right. But I don't know. I feel like that would be the easiest way is that who do you want to be as a person? Um, isn't it easier not to be corrupt? Don't you sleep better? Don't you feel better about who you are? Um, don't you feel more comfortable with your place within society? And don't you feel good contributing? Like, mm. are we not rewarded? Uh, you know, psychologically, uh, biologically. Yeah, there's that built into us. The problem, the problem with the might is right theory is everyone has to sleep. So if you're the biggest man in town and you run around and you bash everyone up just because you feel like it, when you go home and go to sleep, they may all come around to your house with some clubs and teach you a lesson. <laughs> That's what I mean. And, and might, maybe, maybe might is right while you can take that power. But mm. power is something that seems to be borrowed. You know, you have, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. a certain amount of power and you yeah. hold onto it for a while, you wield it, but then someone else has more power than you. Have you yeah. read much about what's what is power and what what is what does it mean to to wield power? Mm. I think Nietzsche talks a lot about power. Oh, yeah, yeah, but he's got a skewed view on the world. Mm. Yeah, I've read I've read a couple of texts of that um, with Nietzsche and, and power. I, I feel like power becomes its own very cons- it's be- you become consumed by. Mm. what it what it is able to to give you you know just how it how it literally empowers you you become a slave yeah you become a slave to it though Mm. 
Yeah, it seems mm, definitely. Like, seems like but I like that that last thing you said tied it up pretty pretty neatly. You said a few things which kind of pulled it all together, and all the different factors of what we've been talking about seem to have, um yeah. Well, you were right, man. Thank you. Yeah, you. I'll say to that, thank you. And I, it seems to be like a, a, a straightforward text of like, what would you do if you had unlimited power? But when you start looking at like what we just kind of what we discussed, is that are people innately good or bad? What motivates us to be um, good or corrupt? You know, how much influence and do we have by by society and society, societal expectations? It's, you know, the biological element of corruption. Um, there's a lot there to unpack, you know. In this well, pretty much it's, 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 it's the analogy for the Republic. And at the end of the Republic, the Republic is the restructuring of society to educate a new class of people to behave in a way that they act ethically. You know, we're, we're all, you know, led astray by our biological urges, by culture, you know, the ancient Greek philosophers, ancient Greek um, myths were all about, you know, hurt your enemies and benefit your friends and get away with things if you can be, be deceptive and all that kind of stuff. And, and Socrates was the first person to say, no, no, that's all wrong. We've, we've just, good is the ultimate level that we need to get, need to get to. He's the first person to say it. And, um, it's a really complex thing. I don't agree with the Republic and how he sort of structured it, but at least he's the first person to start the dialogue. And it's, to me, it's the most important concept that I can think of. And that's why I've been a bit hesitant today to sort of really think clearly or speak my voice properly because it's really, really complex. Yeah, well, I think we had a, a pretty good go at it. Maybe we can take a, a part two of this a bit later on. Mm. Mm. All right, Alan. Well, thank you for your thoughts. Examine life, no worries, the, examine, the examine life podcast. End Thanks of, for putting up with me. <laughs> my pleasure. The, the end of the, the ring of gajis. Adios. Uh, adios, amigos. <laughs>